are listening to the KM Lobby. This incredible edition is provided to you by Pioneer Knowledge Services, the 501c3, providing knowledge management as a charitable function in the USA. I am Edwin K. Morris. Joining me today in kindred KM spirit in action is Janetta Guele, based in Italy, and Monica Denise Perrin from England. Together, we welcome you to the cause. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our today host, Happy Wessenthal. Happy is a pleasure having you with us. You are a senior KM professional with extensive experience in KM strategy, communication, and documentation. And we are very curious to know more, especially about documentation. So let's start from the basic. What's a document from your point of view? So that's a very interesting question. And, and when I suggested the, the subject for this podcast, I began to think about the word documentation itself and what its roots are. It meant something that is written down, something that is captured, but usually in a physical form. Mm-hmm. And I think that today, the word documentation, although we can absolutely keep using it, really, I think, can mean any media on which knowledge is stored. So we have gone from paper to file-based, and we have gone from simply text to video, audio, all kinds of multimedia formats. We've gone from information stored in the cloud, on hard drives. I'd like to broaden the use of the word documentation, not retire it, broaden it to refer to any type of media or format in which knowledge is stored. So we're looking at assets, aren't we, Mm -hmm. really? That's exactly right. I mean, that's what my question was going to be around, that content types, because it's so broad now, isn't it? It's not just as we said, it's not just a document anymore. It's, it can now, all the information can now be stored in that video or in a podcast, for example. So this becomes our documents, doesn't it really? That's exactly right. Mm. And, and so maybe you could think of document um, being replaced by the mm. verb record or store. Documentation in my mind automatically is a verb. Documentation is a process. You're, you're recording, you're transcribing, you're collecting, you're mm-hmm. somehow expressing it somehow that is available to someone else. That's exactly right. So not only is knowledge stored, but knowledge has to be shared. Mm. It has to be categorized and indexed Mm. in order to be useful. It has to be targeted to a specific audience. There are so many aspects to knowledge management that rise above and around the issue of just documenting it. And if you look at any good knowledge management best practices or knowledge management life cycles, documentation is really just the beginning of the process. Do you use any specific frameworks or um, you know, models? If we're looking at capturing content, I mean, I use a Seki model myself, but how about you? Do you have any favorites? I'll tell you what, um, I think of documentation First of all, there are lots of tools in which to share knowledge. The two that I'm using right now and in which my portfolio is captured is SharePoint and Confluence. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I've just written those down. <laughs> I literally, just before we signed, I was like, those two have to be they on our top to two list. Yes. 
And mm-hmm. so uh, when I started the knowledge management practice at Warner Media, all my information was in a Confluence wiki. Mm-hmm. And that definitely served a good purpose and it was a good start. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was the decision was made to move our intranets to SharePoint. And so I have now, I have a Confluence seat and a SharePoint seat. And I have my knowledge management mm-hmm. portfolio in both. And it is not just text. It is images. I'm starting to record videos for it. Both methods of capturing knowledge in those applications um, are easily meta-tagged. You can set up taxonomies. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the taxonomies, you can have related stores. I'm sorry, Edwin, do you have a question? Yeah, I do. I, actually, I wanted to talk about something you had said earlier in the documentation intent and purpose design, uh-huh. if you will, is the user consumption side, right? You're building yes. it for an audience. That's correct. I think really the the effort that that takes is more of a creative aspect and or a journalistic kind of mentality of how do you present content in a way that's easily consumable. And that takes an effort. And if you don't have, if you're worried about building repositories, capturing everything, and that's your only focus, that stuff's not really that usable because there's never been any purposeful design on what the output should look like. So when people say to me, for instance, uh, what is your recommendation for setting up a knowledge management system or, or so on? And the answer is always going to be, it depends, of course. And the two top questions are, what business goal or business challenge are you looking to solve? And who is your audience or audiences? So for instance, in the creative world, and now I'm talking about the creative world of content creation, post-production, editing, and so on, they have a very singular language that they use in the content creation lifecycle. So if you're creating a knowledge store, whether you're storing content or any other kind of production sheets or anything like that, you need to use the terminology that your users use. That's true. Conversely, if you're setting up a knowledge management store for people who work in IT, there are several great frameworks to use, such as foundations. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're working in agile development, um, the reason I'm mentioning all of these is because they already have a vocabulary that you can start with. And then it just becomes, how does your audience search for content? What terms do they use? What do they search for in the course of their everyday lives? And some interesting information would be, um, what kind of searches are abandoned for lack of results? Like to give an example of that? Please. Yes. A new employee uh, at, at my former job uh, was in a meeting in which everybody was talking about pods. And he didn't really know what a pod was at that time. <laughs> so he looked it up on Google. And of course, you're going to get 8 million, right? Nothing useful to you. Does he think he's actually going to go and sit in a pod at one point? <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Or a pod. I mean, it could mean anything. In the knowledge store that I created, however, if you look up the word pod, it will give you to the meaning that it was within the company, which is an 
advertising pod. And an advertising pod is the section of advertising in between program segments in which you place all of your commercials and your promotions. Well, I want to bring up the point that that is a very foundational piece to organizational understanding mm -hmm. and situational awareness is they have a definable terminology list or glossary that is mm -hmm. available and understood by all, or at least accessible by all to disambiguate any misunderstandings, right? If an organization, that's a good health check, right? Who's in charge of your glossary? Mm -hmm. Who's responsible for that? And if it's the answer is crickets, it's time to look at that because you don't really realize. And Abby, you brought up something interesting is that in the search functions, how many negatives, but how many of the vacuums out of that? If you're not aware of the divots in an organization and the challenges of finding information, you'll never improve them. So I think that brings up a great point. But let's let's wrap up okay. on a, on the glossary thing. Janetta, you got anything to say about terminology? What is it in Italy that's the the big thing with glossary? Well, I don't know exactly in Italy. I have experience all around the world, and what I understood and I share with Abby is the importance of classified documents in order to refine the refine them as much as possible and depending on the environment where the documents are used. But my question is, if the documents means everything from a video to a podcast, from a piece of paper to a digital format paper, whatever it is, then we have a lot of more documents. So, and our repositories are very huge. So how can we help knowledge workers to find exactly good piece of documentation to solve the everyday issues and problems. Because I noted, and I would like to know your experience, Hall, uh, that the more we have on our desk, digital desk, the more we are lost and we lose productivity and efficiency. And especially with all these mm -hmm. social enterprise or social media platform, we spend lots of time here and there and we have documentation from any type of format everywhere. But are we going to do our job the best way? Because the documentation is great, but having too much documents, it's worse like having few very documents. So what's your experience, Abby? What's your point of view about this? How can we improve the way we found the right document at the right time for the right person? Yes. So I'd like to think of uh, documentation having, and this is a vast oversimplification, so let me just put that out there, of having three layers, okay? Mm -hmm. To me, the central layer is the documentation itself. Let's call them the knowledge assets. In fact, if we could call them the knowledge assets moving forward, then that would cover absolutely everything. So you have this middle layer where you have your library or repository yeah. of knowledge assets. Mm -hmm. On top of that layer, we have a user interface, and that's what knowledge users interact with. Underneath the knowledge layer is not only the storage mechanism, and again, you could have a number of discrete storage units that are unified under a single service layer, but I won't get into that. And what you should also have is a very structured, and I'm going to call it a taxonomy, Mm -hmm. of how your documentation is organized. And that is going to change depending mm -hmm. on what industry you're in, 
what you're using your knowledge mechanism for, and so on. So I am not as concerned with the number or the size of what's in that middle layer. What I am most concerned about is what underlays that middle layer in terms of organization, cataloging, meta-tagging, indexing. There are a lot of different words. And and anybody who is a digital archivist or has an MLS can talk a lot more formally about that than I could. Mm -hmm. And then at the top, you have one to N user interfaces, because not every single person in an organization needs to have access to every single Mm -hmm. piece of knowledge. So for instance, if you have a knowledge store that is uh, hiring practices, hiring forms, onboarding new employees, and so on. That might be a manager's only section of a mm. site. If you have a team that is only working on a certain program of initiatives, and by that I mean multiple projects that fall under the same heading, maybe they will only have access to the documentation that's pertinent to that project or program. And so the size to me with storage being as cheap as it is and people moving things to the cloud and so on, to me is not as critical as the two other layers that I talked about, the user interface Mm. and then the underlying database and the associated organizational principles of that database. Does that make sense? I think so. Yes. It's how it all integrates together, really. It's that architecture and it's getting the architecture right. Mm. Exactly. And, And then you have to think about companies that are concerned with knowledge centered service. In other words, you have help desk, you're interacting directly with customers. For instance, if you have a chatbot, I'm thinking of Happy Fox, mm. there's a, a number of chatbots. Then the knowledge base that underlays that chatbot has to be targeted toward problems that you think are more readily solved by an automated system, such as I forgot my password, as opposed to m- more complex problems that are more readily uh, solved by an actual person. And then a company can begin to move more and more automated interactions to that and put the more complex interactions uh, so that you're actually talking to a human. And that's a very specific application for a knowledge base. Especially maybe for lesson learned, because you spoke about taxonomy and also to chat box. I don't know, I create a link between this, the lesson learned, because this is one of the big issues at the moment. There are a lot of lesson learned, which is documentation at the hand. Yeah. And now the, the, the one of the biggest problem is that even if you have a lot of lesson learned documentation, people are not using them or not refining them or not reapplying them. Mm-hmm. So I guess that an initiative like creating a chat box in... Um, in SharePoint, it could be an idea to solve uh, this issue. What do you think? Well, I mean, I can't talk to uh, one way of having a, a knowledge base uh, under lay a chatbot, but as long as you have those types of interactions documented, that can be put into the chatbot application 
However, I am uh, not a big fan of very, very text intensive answers. I am much more of a fan of screenshots and single lines of text. Mm. Some interactions, I wish a lot of companies may, may already be doing this, is having videos uh, uh-huh. where you use one of those applications that record what you're doing right. on your computer. All this boils down to is quicker customer service. Yeah, You're, you're yeah. doing whatever you can to connect the questioner to the answer. And that's really all you're that's talking right. about. Uh, and, yep. and, and that is a challenge that is yep. being approached by artificial intelligence. That's Those type of mechanisms are not person dependent. So the idea that what you're saying is in, in the chat bot, you can program certain sequential, oh, do this, do that, do that. That's, that's very simple. That's a frequently asked question kind of approach to get you to action and solution. Exactly. The, the idea of going deeper as Janetta was talking about with lessons learned or deeper archived artifacts of the organization, internal to the organization, things you want to be able to extract that you don't know is there for one thing. You can't just query a a term because you may not know the term you're actually looking for. That's the deeper layer. And that all hinges on what Abby said about the architecture being right, the data mechanisms being exact and everything having an application of governance to it as an artifact to verify, validate, and all those things, right, in order to build trust with the consumer. Because if you don't have those elements that Abby just talked about, then the consumer, the employee, the, the termed contract person will tend to not trust the data coming from or the information coming from the internal organization and then we'll go google something mm, so right it's a heavy lift if a company said well we want to implement knowledge management they do that don't they let's just do it and they're like how uh, there's an article on my portfolio site uh how to called km how to start One of the things I always recommend is doing some people call it a proof of concept some people call it a pilot but it's a manageable size of a knowledge management problem that you want to solve with a limited number of users that you can then use to um, extrapolate into what works, what doesn't work, what can be solved with knowledge management. Another store of knowledge management that we haven't talked about is chat devices such as chat applications such as Slack, HipChat. There is tons of knowledge captured in those solutions to problems. Um, If you're a programmer, you know, you can go to GitHub and say, okay, who's written a piece of code that solves this? A lot of that kind of great information is stored and you can extract that. In other words, I looked up just the other day how to export data from Slack and it's absolutely doable. And then you're left with such a huge chunk of data that Slack actually does recommend passing it through some kind of uh, artificial intelligence tool, at least take the first swag at organizing it. And then of course it's it's gone over by a human and the refinement and the nuance that can be lacking in AI is then applied to that huge chunk of data. And, And KM and AI, the intersection of KM and AI is to me of great interest in what I've been reading up on the most nowadays. Yeah. Abby, is that the next step? 
is that is that all, you know is that one of the skill sets and the capabilities that um, us as knowledge managers are need, you know, going to need to learn about? To learn about the capabilities, yes. It depends on what area of knowledge management you're most focused on. If you're most interested in the technology of knowledge management, then yes, perhaps AI is a subject that you really want to learn about in terms of how to use it, uh, what it can do and what it can't do. If you're more involved in business strategy type of knowledge management or things like that, you absolutely need to know what AI is and what AI tools are out there. I don't know necessarily if everybody needs to do the really yeah. Where in the architecture do you see that fitting exactly. in? It, it depends. I think where it is most useful is when you have a Slack export, but it, it could be anything. Uh, where you have a large source of information. Maybe you've taken knowledge from 20 different places and just dumped them into a Confluence wiki or into a SharePoint signer or any one of a million other places. Or if, for instance, you have a digital asset management system that needs some knowledge aspect. I'm sure people are already using AI in their chatbot applications and in, I mean, a million other things. I am actually just really getting into the world of AI. And so um, I'm going to call myself a novice in that area yet because I'm still learning. I have the feeling that all this type of new things like artificial intelligence will increase the number of documents and information. But sometimes I always think, a very famous word from the founder of the Boston Consulting Group. He always said, the less is more. <laughs> uh, sometimes I think, do we really need all this type of documents? Do we really need all this type of artificial intelligence and functionalities to really decide what's the best for our business? So this is my open question, my, my concern, to be honest. Yeah. I'll throw in my five cents. So the idea that we have more readability and, and searchability and understandability of presentation of content is absolutely going to empower mm -hmm. us faster, better, everyone in your organization. Artificial intelligence is going to peel off the onion of depth of documents, right? Who Finding a better way to parse out the chunks of data that are valuable by far is a machine readable function we do we do not have time in a business intelligence world to go through all the artifacts of an organization to understand because that's your research then you gain understanding and then you can act um, those take a lot of time and so i think ai is going to be something that's going to uh, shorten the length of time from mm -hmm. quandary to action yeah. Uh, and, and probably in a better way because it'll hopefully extract across the organization any little piece that a human may have never known. That's correct. I have experience with AI as it relates to uh, content recognition. And this is years and years ago. Uh, companies started to uh, release software that had facial recognition capabilities and that could do uh, uh, speech to text uh, transcripts, which is very, very useful for news. 
had some experience with that with CNN. In the beginning, tools were kind of kind of crude. They weren't a hundred percent vastly improved in things like facial recognition, speech to text, and so on. But if you're looking for nuance, if you're looking for ambiguity, which is also part of content, then I think that that last mile, mm -hmm. at least for now, you are going to need a librarian or an archivist or some kind of knowledge manager to take that first step, which gets you X percent of the way till you get your content metadata, your content knowledge to where you need it. And I think that that's a very good metaphor for knowledge management and AI. This reminds me of uh, the work that uh, Mr. Snowden has done with the Kinefin framework, where there are certain types of information that lend themselves really well to the simple things that are categorized. And I think that's what we're talking about. When things are complex, when yeah. things are chaotic, when you've got the ambiguity, then you do need that human element. Yes, we can get there faster if we do use that AI. That's right. only a yes. little bit, you know. So yes. I, I think one of the skills that um, knowledge management people need to start learning is how to structure content in this way, using that so that complicated uh, content is easier to find because it might be um, as simple as putting the right people in touch with the right people, yeah. you know, rather than content. That, that's exactly yeah. right. So every company has internal applications, software that are proprietary yeah. to that company. So not people soft, you know, not things that all companies use. And so somebody who is mm. new to the company can go into a project meeting and be absolutely bewildered when they hear, okay, A needs to integrate with B, but don't forget there's a data push to C every night and, and so on and so forth. And you're absolutely I've heard that. Right? I've heard that so many times. So one of the uh, sites that I created or subsites was a list of all internal applications. And I didn't need a heavy lift on data. It was the name of the application, what the application did, what business unit in the company was the service owner of it, and who the contact was to contact to say, uh, I need information from your database. Do you have APIs or am I going to have to? Yeah. So, so that's an example of something that is very simple to set up, but can be yeah. infinitely useful to people who are working on projects. And the same thing goes, Edwin, I think we talked about the glossary of terms that are proprietary mm -hmm. to a company or an industry. But yes, that application list can be extremely useful. So it's that simple, isn't it? Of connecting people to people. It's that simple sometimes. But that's what I mean by we need to, as, as knowledge management people, understand what people are looking exactly for right. going back to your search results uh -huh. <laughs> and understand how we organize that. And how we organize those assets, because we, our people are also the assets. Oh, absolutely, yes. So if we put in ourselves there as well. Let's, uh, let's go around the horn with our burning questions to wrap up. We'll go with Janetta, and then Monica, then myself. The burning question is, I think I did already, do we really need, do we really need <laughs> artificial intelligence to be excellent knowledge manager? Because if we focus more on the IT side, we are losing the other piece of the puzzle 
And the most important one is the people. So what's the question? The question is, do we really need all these uh, machines helping us uh, in structuring content and documentation uh, and making... Uh, you know, artificial intelligence better than us? Uh, I wouldn't say that we need to make AI better than us. I would say that if you are in a highly regulated knowledge intensive industry, and the first two that come to me are healthcare, medicine, and energy, then if you can use AI to take you to 40, 50, 60% of the way in identifying and cataloging your knowledge, absolutely, you should use that. In less knowledge intensive in industries, I still think that it has a usefulness. Uh, if you have a lot of video content, if you have a lot of audio content, it takes a human a very long time to go through that. AI is just a tool. It is not a solution to implementing knowledge management 100% everywhere. I welcome its use as a tool with always keeping the idea in mind that it cannot solve all of your knowledge management issues. I cannot agree more. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Very direct to the point. (laughs) Okay, Monica. Do you prefer um, for knowledge to be captured in real time or do you prefer it to be captured and archived after? So a bit like, uh, you know, on the confidence page or, you know, captured in 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 a knowledge management database, for example. What's your preference? I do not differentiate where in the life cycle knowledge is created that it should be if you can capture it live. Uh-huh. So for instance, in sports, uh, especially nowadays when sports is being streamed in a million different ways and people want to consume sports content in a million different ways, yeah. there are people who do nothing but sit there and in real time apply metadata to things like basketball games. And they're using tools that have the terminology built in already. Dunks three-pointers and so on. And anybody who knows me knows that me talking about sports is absolutely laughable. <laughs> but, I mean, these, these teams creating this metadata on the fly. And the purpose of it is, is for fans. If you want to go to a game and see how many dunks were made, who made the dunks, when did this happen? What did this player do? Creating that knowledge or metadata in real time is absolutely wonderful. Which I'm sure then can go onto Twitter, can go onto Facebook, can do Instagram. Hadn't even thought about that. Wow. On the other hand, I do believe that things like post-project documentation, post-mortems, Um, Another thing that can be created, whenever an employee leaves the company and they're taking all their brain power, you probably want to do an exit interview with the company, not an HR type of exit interview, but putting down the information that only John knows. And when John leaves, he's taking all of that information with him. So I believe that knowledge can be captured any step in the process. Super. I hadn't even thought about that real-time sports data, but now I'm never going to watch a match <laughs> without thinking about it. It's the same thing. It's the absolute same thing with live news. 
My burning question is this, Abby, if you had no restriction on resources, money, time, personnel, all those things, oh. what would you create to aid knowledge management? Wow, that is a great question. Do you mean what would what would I create to help knowledge management practitioners? I'll leave it open-ended. However it lands on you is the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, there are already, I think, so many great resources out there for knowledge management practitioners. The System Integration Knowledge Management Forum, I go to every day and check it because it's like Quora. People are bringing up and providing answers to so many different kinds of subjects. There are companies like Pioneer Knowledge Services. There's KM World. There's KM Magazine. There are people I follow on LinkedIn, like Heather Hedden, uh, Lena Stormvinge. But I'd also like to mention Dr. David Griffiths in the UK, who has been very helpful to me. And, and of course, you folks. If I had all the money and all the resources, what I would like to do is apply knowledge management to something that's been a passion of mine for many years which is education and literacy and how, how that helped uh, particularly women and children out of the cycle of poverty. And you, mm. I'm getting into something personal now, but that uh, would explain my long-term involvement with the Atlanta Women's Foundation, because that is exactly their mission. Um, and all the charities who are devoted to doing that and I would apply knowledge management principles to literacy and education and figuring out how to improve that. That sounds like a awesome plan. <laughs> well, as you can tell reading, that's why knowledge sharing is such a passion of mine as well. Can I ask you what your definition of knowledge management is? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about that. Um, I think. I would say that the overriding mission of knowledge management is to ensure that people have the information they need in order to accomplish whatever it is they're looking to try. And I am purposefully keeping it broad. <laughs> I don't, I can't think of any area in which knowledge management cannot be used in some way to make it better. Because if you think about it, if you're an author and you've just written a book and you need to index that book, that's knowledge management. Yeah. And I refer to book indexes all the time. Well, and I will say you're the first person to offer the concept of tying KM, and that's the dog barking in the background, <laughs> uh, of KM in mission alignment, right? So that oh. absolutely, I, you know, and it's better than saying tied to the strategy, tied to the, you know, business operation. I mean, when it's tied to the mission, that's exactly where it needs to be. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I feel very purposefully that knowledge management without a mission and a goal is sort of knowledge management wandering in the darkness without a light. It's the sampler plate at the buffet, right? That's if yes. if that's all you're going to do is have a few bites of it then okay. <laughs> you know, if you're not committed to outcomes sure. and drive this program, you'll get exactly what you put into mm -hmm. it. A little, a little bit uh -huh. than enough. That's the perfect yeah. marriage. Well, thank that's you right. very much for being our that's guest right. today on the KM Lobby. Well, thank, thank you, Abby. You. Thank great you so day. much. It's been fantastic. Thank you, thank thank you, so you much. very much. Bye -bye. Keep in touch, Abby. Thank you. Bye. You have enjoyed the incredible edition of the KM Lobby.
please feel free to join the cause. We believe KM is and can benefit all. Do what you can and add to the wave of positive change. Your donations are a welcome way to make sure your vote is counted in this important movement. Explore more at pioneer-ks.org.